With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The Donaldson Files, Tom Donaldson. Uh, Coco Konski will be out tonight. Uh, she's on a special assignment. And tomorrow night, I will be on uh, on a special assignment. And Coco, but don't worry, Coco will have Lauren Byes, the official European correspondent for the Donaldson Files, and Cece Harrison, who is the official Canadian correspondent. And they're going to be talking ladies' night. So if you want to just... Uh, so all of you ladies out there, nothing's taboo. Relationships, issues will come to the forefront tomorrow, ladies' night, Wednesday. And next week, we're going to have two very interesting special programs. Wilfer Riley is, got his, is working on a special research project, which he's finishing up. And we're going to talk about that research project. Um, he's going to talk about a wide variety of things, dealing with COVID, dealing with the lockdown, dealing with the economic side of the equation. And and there'll be some very interesting data he'll be presenting to us. And then Wednesday, September the 2nd, uh, Justin Hart of Rational Thought. Uh, he's a data man, collects data all the time, and he'll be giving you the latest numbers dealing with COVID. And, and both of these gentlemen will be Challenging a lot of the conventional wisdom. So, and tonight I, I want to introduce Ian Murray. Mr. Murray is the vice president for strategy and senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and he directs the Center for Economic Freedom. He's been the author of best-selling books, "The Really Inconvenient Truth: Stealing You Blind: How Government Fat Cats Are Giving Rich Off You." He's written on free markets and environments, and his most recent book is The Socialist Temptation, which you know, is, is, I think, is timely, mainly because, as I stated in my book, The Rise of National Populism and Democratic Socialism, which is available on Prost Hill Press and Amazon.com, and I, you know, which I did discuss is the Democratic Party becoming the Democratic Socialist Party of America. And certainly with the socialist uh, temptation is there. We're going to be discussing that. And, and welcome to the show, uh, Ian. It's great to be with you tonight, Tom. Yes. Well, you know, here's the thing. You and I were talking off the air, and it, and I wanted to kind of, it, you know, and I wanted to kind of, you know, we kind of talked about there was a couple of things, you know, before we get into the meat of the, you know, the meat of the book. 
but you do but there are but this is one subject you do talk about in your book but uh, you know Richard Spencer the neo nazi you know recently endorsed Joe Biden and if anybody's read my book the rise of national populism democratic socialism i talk about the fact that you know Richard Spencer and his ilk are in many ways far closer in their economic thinking to a good portion of the socialist movement than there ever were to the free market side. So I'm not that totally surprised that he's endorsing Joe Biden based on that. But you'll kind of talk about the, that connection you know, with the so-called alt-right neo-Nazis and socialism. Would well, you view it, Spence as a, would you view him as a socialist? Well, indeed, I, 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 it's it's a very old connection. I, I, I talk about it briefly in the in the in the socialist temptation that uh, 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 Ludwig von Mises, uh, the, the the great Austrian economist, uh, thought that there was only a trivial technicality of difference between socialism and fascism. And uh, when, when you look at the uh, at the economic policies that uh, that the, the, the fascists and socialists uh, both uh, prefer. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it's easy to see why he he said that. Uh, so, uh, socialism uh, is based on the principle that there is something wrong with, uh, with 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 the economy when it's directed by free individuals, and that's essentially the same with uh, with, with, with capital with uh, with fascism. Uh, fascism, uh, if, if if you look at the German model and the Italian model, uh, it, it, they crack down. Ve- uh, uh, a, a lot on the the, the free uh, free decisions of, uh, of, of of industrialists. They allowed the industrialists to uh, to continue operating, but they had to do so under very very stringent circumstances and very close control. Uh, uh, by... In fact, in, in many ways, it's very similar to what uh, to, to the Chinese model of capitalism at uh, at the moment under, under Xi. Uh, the, 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 all, all three of these regimes uh, uh, had a, a, a very, have a very uh, controlling attitude uh, to uh, private business and industry, and that's very similar uh, to socialism. Well, actually, yeah, that's interesting because I made uh, several months ago. I made the, you know, I kind of, I made this point on this show that China is Nazi is Nazism of the 21st century. And I think that's an interesting point you make because there's a lot of similarity with, let's say, China's version of national socialism, what Hitler was, you know, in the sense that, hey, you got political prisoners, you got concentration camp, you got slave labor. But while they allow a market to function, it's more on the condition of, okay, you can function, you can become billionaires, you can become rich. But we can take it away from you anytime we want if you don't serve the interests of the state. Would that be a fair description of where where China is today? I I, I think so. And 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 if, if you look at the parallels uh, with, uh, with 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 uh, especially with uh, fascist Italy, uh, they, they are very clear. You know, uh, state organized cartels, uh, dissolution of small companies. Uh, corporations being instructed to act in, in, in the national interest, uh, all of those are uh, elements of uh, 
of, of, of Chinese as well as of 1930s, 1920s and 1930s you know, Italian uh, economics. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, the, the closer you look at it, the, the, uh, uh, the, the clearer the parallels are. You know, the, 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 a lot of Chinese companies, for instance, these days uh, are, are forced to have reference to the, uh, to, to the Chinese Communist Party uh, in, in, in their company charters. You know, the, the, uh, the level of state control uh, compared with just 10 years ago in China is quite astonishing. Yeah, so are you saying, that in a way, are they kind of moving backwards in this regard then? I, I, I think so. The, the, I, I think there was clearly a period in which uh, China was becoming capitalist uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, the, 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 the first decade of, the, of this century. Uh, the great economist Ronald Coase, uh, his last book, which he wrote when he was over 100, uh, was How China Became Capitalist. Uh, uh, in, in some ways, I'm glad he didn't live to see the, uh, the, the, the regression of, uh, uh, of the Chinese economy under, under Xi. Uh, because uh, it, it has been uh, swift and it has been uh, devastating. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, yeah, I, that's just because I, I find it, which can kind of brings me back to Richard Spencer, because one of the things in my book, and this, I remember getting into a discussion with a couple of these old writers. It was, uh, you know, and so I kind of, you know, you know, part of it was on Twitter, part of it was on other media, and I, and I would ask them these questions, and I would say, you know, do you guys view yourself as fascists? And is fascism good? I mean, they, they actually said yes, and then when I would say, what is the country we should model ourselves after? And it was almost unanimous. China was their very first choice. And and I thought to myself, you know, this is intriguing that, you know, this will become, you know, you know that this is what they're going to view as their very first choice. Uh, but, I, you know, but we're going to explore that more in a little bit later. This is Tom Donaldson with special guest uh, Ian Murray of the Competitive Enterprise Institute here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. This is Dr. Larry Fidoa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events, an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. Also, don't forget the Locker Talk with Barry Bonds. Barry's where you can hear about the NFL stars of tomorrow. Today, listen to Barry every Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at blocktalkradio.com. L.A. Bachelor, and that's the podcast every day, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight, Eastern Standard Time, with back-to-back episode at the Bachelor News Airtime. Stop pro, and trust to have you no show and advertise. Email us at la bachelor40 at gmail 
Radio.com. Listen and stay informed. And also, tonight, if you want to call in, call in at 646-929-0130. If you want to comment on tonight's show, again, 646-929-0130. And don't forget the Donaldson Files. Um, not, not only are we, let's say, 6 p.m. and to 7, you know, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on BlockTalkRadio.com Tuesday and Wednesday, but every day, 3 a.m. to and 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the BachelorNews.Airtime.Pro. So you can hear us every day, twice a day, plus twice on the Block Talk Radio Network. And now let's kind of follow up on, you know, the kind of question because, uh, you know, as you stated, there is a regression occurring under China on this market side as they're starting to tighten up control. Maybe a question I'm going to ask, why are they doing that? Well, it, it, it's it's very much a, a, a nationalist thing. Uh, thing. There, there, there is um, – <sighs> They now call uh, their version of capitalism capitalism with Chinese characteristics. Uh, so uh, the, 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 it, it is uh, this economic policy is is explicitly uh, nationalist. You know, so, so we're seeing at the same time uh, nationalist crackdowns on uh, on deviant populations. You know the the the, the Uyghurs of. Uh, of uh, the, 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 what used to be called Xinjiang Province, <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite sure what the uh, current, current uh, na- name is for it, but uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, they have a, a, a different faith and a different ethnicity, so they are being uh, rounded up, put in camps, uh, abortions, forced abortions, uh, even uh, tales of infanticide. Uh, going on there, you know, it's a, 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 a classic fascist crackdown. And similarly, uh, the, uh, we're, we're seeing Hong Kong uh, being taken over with its different attitudes to, uh, uh, to, 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 to the economy, very much based on the, on the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the uh, British history uh, of uh, free markets uh, there in Hong Kong. Uh, we're seeing that being snuffed out before, before our eyes as well. Uh, the the, uh, the current Chinese uh, government doesn't want to see anything that it views as deviant uh, from its uh, its own nationalist Chinese way. Yeah. Okay. We're going to also a little bit later in the show because you have also talked about the temptation, you know, coming into let's say even within the political right today, and we'll explore that a little bit later. Uh, but the one question I might ask: somebody said to you. Ask you this question: How would you define socialism? <laughs> that's the uh, that's the uh, uh, three trillion dollar question these days, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would define socialism as uh, popular control of the means of production, distribution, or exchange, and that can be done through uh, th- through direct uh, uh, ownership by the people, in other words, by the government. Or uh, of, of, of all these means, or by uh, micromanaging bureaucratic uh, control and restriction. Um, if you ask uh, a young socialist these days what he what he or she means by socialism, uh, you probably won't get that answer. 
you probably get something along the lines of a, a, a fairer society, uh, some, something that, uh, that, 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 that looks a, a lot more like, uh, like, like Europe, uh, a society where, uh, where the rich can't exploit people, uh, where there is uh, uh, racial and gender justice. Uh, you will hear a lot of things and they'll often be different depending on who you talk to uh, who claims that they're a democratic socialist but um, the, the, the classic definition of socialism uh, that control of the means of production, distribution and exchange uh, tends to be very low on their list uh, these days and so you have, to, you have to wonder exactly what it is uh, that that uh, the, 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 the people really mean when they uh, when they think about socialism. To a lot of people, I think it's just a buzzword. To other people, I think it's a it's it's a deeply serious restructuring, uh, re revolutionary restructuring of uh, the American uh, economy and society in general. Let's uh, let's try and follow up first. Or look at the Nordic. Well, I'm going to use the word Nordic capitalist states. Certainly for years and years, this has always been the model that they've talked about. Would you view Sweden, Finland, Norway, these countries as capitalist, socialist? How would you view them? I would say that uh, they used to be democratic socialist, uh, but they realized that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that this was uh, uh, leading them uh, down uh, a, 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 an economic dark alley. And so they decided to... Uh, um, to, uh, to, to abandon democratic socialism and become uh, a social democracy. Uh, in the social democracy, you have a capitalist, a quite vibrant capitalist uh, uh, society, but it, involve, but it includes uh, high levels of taxation uh, to pay for a large welfare state. That's different from socialism because you, uh, they have given up uh, the idea of, uh, of of control of the means of di uh, production, distribution, and exchange I mentioned earlier, and uh, have, have, have allowed uh, uh, the private sector to to, uh, to take that, that that back over. If you look at what uh, countries like Sweden are doing, they they, they are actually uh, have introduced pri uh, privatisation into uh, areas which uh, America uh, is reluctant to. Uh, for instance, uh, the uh, school choice, uh, you know, education vouchers, are, is the dominant model of education uh, in Sweden. Meanwhile, they have recently been uh, uh, been privatising their, uh, uh, their, their their social security system up to a point, so that uh, so that you can invest in different funds uh, uh, to try and get uh, a better return than uh, than the state would. Uh, and so uh, neither of which uh, would be particularly palatable to today's American democratic uh, socialists. So uh, that's why when you look at all the various indexes of economic freedom, uh, Sweden and the U.S. are generally about, uh, about equal, uh, despite the, um, the, the, the presence of a very large uh, welfare state and uh, regressive taxation, which includes uh, very heavy taxes on the middle class. Okay, let, let me, let, yeah, that's an interesting because you know you you bring up the in your book the various indexes like the Heritage Foundation has an index, Cato, 
Institute has indexed, the Fraser Institute, the Canadian Fraser Institute, they all have various indexes as to how they measure economic freedom in nations. And, okay, here's the thing. The United States in the last heritage rating, uh, number 17. Sweden's number 22. Finland's 20. Norway's 28. Uh, Denmark is 8. I mean, they're like ahead of, you know, they're ahead of us. So what is Denmark doing on the economic freedom side that we're not doing that they can be ranked, you know, higher than what this traditional capitalist United States? Well, I, I think generally I'm, I'm not a great expert on, on Denmark particularly, but uh, you know, the, 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 uh, generally the, these countries have very strong property rights, a very strong legal system. Uh, uh, they, they, uh, they have significantly reduced uh, their, uh, their regulation. Um, many of these countries are much less uh, tightly regulated than America is uh, these days. Uh, and uh, generally, they, they realize that they need uh, an, an, a free economy to be able to pay for the welfare state that, that, that they like. And if it wasn't for the size of the welfare state, uh, they'd be streets ahead of the U.S. Right, okay, let me, okay, let me put this on. Let's just say a democratic, let's say, an advocate of democratic socialism say, okay, the European model, and they look at you and they say, well, Mr. Murray, Australia is number fourth in the world with economic freedom. Ireland's number six. New Zealand's number three. Canada's number nine. Even Great Britain's ahead of the United States. They all have, for example, socialized medicine. Why can't we have socialized medicine and still maintain our economic freedom like these countries, a single payer, uh, whatever word you want to call it? Well, this is a very interesting question because there are different models of, uh, of, of socialized medicine uh, around the world. And uh, generally speaking, um, the, uh, the, the models that are most socialized, such as the National Health Service uh, in, in Great Britain, uh, they tend to have the worst health outcomes. And uh, so, so, so if, if you look at rankings of, uh, of the health systems by, uh, by outcomes, uh, th 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 those countries are at the, uh, are at the bottom. Uh, the more private involvement there is in the health service uh, uh, in these countries, uh, I, I leave the, the, the U.S. aside at the moment because the U.S. Uh, system, I don't think, is a free market system of healthcare, despite <laughs> despite the fact that everybody calls it that. Uh, so, so let's leave that aside at the moment. Uh, the, the, uh, the more private involvement you have in uh, in, in the delivery of healthcare, uh, generally speaking, the better uh, the, 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 the better the outcome is. Uh, Switzerland, for instance, has uh, uh, probably the, the best healthcare system in terms of outcome in the world. And it also has uh, a, a very highly developed uh, private uh, private healthcare delivery system alongside the, gov uh, the, the, the governmental system. So, if you're talking about the, that that, uh, that that real uh, single payer healthcare where you you you, uh, you you pay for it all up front and uh, you you, get, you go in and uh, you, you're not charged uh, when you go to the emergency room or to, uh, or, 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 or to a doctor. Uh, uh, then 
uh, uh, and, and you don't have any sort of stakeholder insurance, uh, or, and the, the doctor is, uh, is is paid for directly by uh, by the government, that's where the, the, the health outcomes are the worst in the developed world. Uh, it's uh, so, 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 so to say that uh, all of Europe has socialised healthcare. Uh, it, it sort of misses the point slightly, uh, because not only have um, the, uh, the countries with the best health, uh, health outcomes in Europe uh, got a, 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 a considerable amount of, uh, of, of private health care, they tend to be moving in the direction of even more. Uh, even the National Health Service is moving in the, in the direction of more uh, of, of more private involvement. So uh, to say that it's it, it's it, it's a, uh, uh, a question of either the government or a uh, or a, uh, a non uh, a, a, a non-governmental private system uh, that, that, that misses uh, misses the point because there, there, there are huge gradations in. Uh, in, in, in uh, private involvement in uh, healthcare, even even within Europe. So what you're really saying is that they have their own form of fixture of private public delivery system. Would that be a fair way to maybe yeah, yeah, explain yeah, that? Yes, exactly. And uh, I, I, most of these countries uh, have realized that, that that you can't just run uh, uh, run healthcare on a on a, a traditionally socialist model with government control of everything, uh, uh, as as uh, as was said when uh, when when Britain introduced the National Health Service, uh, the health minister said that uh, that he'd be responsible for every dropped bedpan uh, in, in 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 the in the nation. Um, you you can't run it like that. You have to have some form of uh, private involvement. Otherwise, uh, you have. Uh, you, you, uh, uh, all, all the various tensions that apply to socialist economics apply to the, uh, to, to the health economics, and um, that just leads to, uh, to, to very bad outcomes for the people that you're trying to help. So that, that's why you know, virtually all of these countries have realized there has to be some substantial uh, private involvement. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Tom Donson on the Donson Files. Don't forget you can call in 646-929-0130 and also... If you're on Twitter right now, you can tweet at the Donaldson Files, tweet at the Donaldson Files, and we'll also take your questions and we'll try to answer them as well. So 646-929-0130 or at the Donaldson Files. And don't forget, we do have a webpage at donaldsontfiles.com, which occasionally I will um, say, you know, voice my opinion on things here and there. And even once in a while, uh, the doc, Dr. Larry himself allows me to republish some of his work. And now back to uh, Ian Murray of the Competitive Enterprise Institute, discussing his book, The Socialist Temptation. And before we go any further, uh, where can people buy your book? Uh, it's it's currently uh, available uh uh, at, all, at all the major uh, online uh, bookstores, so uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, if you have an, an e-reader like a Kindle, you can buy it uh, th- uh, through the Kindle uh, for the Kindle edition. Uh, and 
and uh, I believe it is currently making its way out uh, you know, slowly, thanks to the, uh, uh, the, the the COVID disruption of supply chains. But I think it's it's making its way out slowly to actual bookstores like uh, Books a Million and so on. Okay, good. And uh, who is the pub- uh, who uh, so who published the book? Uh, the you? publisher is Regnery. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you go to their web- website, which I think is regnery.com, you can find it there as well. Okay, good. So basically, you got a lot of different options of which you can you know, buy this book. Uh, and so, like, yeah, so we basically, in effect, uh, what we're really saying is that the social welfare state, while maybe a little bit more extensive in certain areas in many of these countries, is enough of a private sector involvement, in other words, and the means of production are necessarily not controlled by the government, but there is a, a functioning market economy, whether it's in Sweden, Great Britain, Australia, Canada, uh, Finland. You know, would that be a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, 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 I grew up in, in Britain when it was a democratic socialist country. Uh, everything had been nationalized uh, after the war. Uh, and it was a pretty dreary and depressing place. Uh, you know, you had to rely on the, 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 the government to, uh, to provide the trains for you to get to, uh, for me to get to school. Uh, you know, and constantly things were uh, think things were on strike. Uh, industries were on strike uh, for higher pay uh, because they knew that. Uh, uh, they had leverage over the government, so they would go on strike, uh, and we poor, the, the, the poor British citizen w- would, would suffer. Uh, eventually, in 1979, it got to the stage where hospital workers went on strike, and at the, at the same, t- same time, uh, municipal uh, garbage collectors went on strike, and even grave diggers went on strike. So you had uh, uh, hospitals were closed, there were uh, piles of garbage in the streets, and the dead were lying unburied. And that's when the British people turned around and said, no, we've had enough of this. Uh, we're going to uh, elect Margaret Thatcher, and she's going to roll back the frontiers of the state. We're going to get rid of, of this socialism, uh, and, uh, and we're going to go back to being uh, a, 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 private, uh, a, a, a private country with, with uh, private industry country uh, with genuine free markets. And uh, Mrs. Thatcher uh, did that so uh, so well that uh, Tony Blair, uh, the the Labour Party uh, uh, premier for for ten years, uh, basically followed her example and kept Britain uh, a private sector country uh, when a lot of people were expecting him to, uh, to to try to return to socialism. Yeah, hold on that thought. We're going to talk after this break. Uh, this is Tom Donaldson, uh, the Donaldson Files with. Uh, Ian Murray talking his book, The Socialist Temptation. And we're going to pursue, you know, why hasn't socialism uh, been taken up in America? What is there a special inoculus? Is there something that we've been able to do here to keep it from coming in? And is that temptation stronger today? So this is Tom Donaldson on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books 
have a bigger vocabulary. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> wow, jinx. <laughs> Did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files, back. Welcome back. And if you want to call in, 646-929-0130. You can also tweet us at Donaldson Files on Twitter. And here on the Bachelor News Radio Enough. And don't forget, every day at the bachelornews.airtime.pro, you can listen to the show 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on the Bachelor News Radio Network, one of the fastest growing network there is. Now, let's kind of, okay, uh, yeah. Uh, what, why has, let's say, over the years taken hold in the United States, socialism, or the idea of socialism? Well, I think that the, 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 uh, America suffered from uh, from two uh, waves, as it were, of socialism light. Uh, I think you know, during the progressive era, uh, the, 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 uh, back at the uh, turn of the 19th, uh, 20th centuries, uh, the, the, you know, the, there was a, a move for much more government uh, oversight of, uh, of, of of the economy. And then uh, during the New Deal, the, the, there was uh, an attempt... Uh, to, 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 to nationalize and control uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of American industry with things like the uh, National Recovery Administration and so on, uh, but th- th- those failed to turn into uh, in, into. Uh, Real socialism, uh, because I think that there were there were two things that were inoculating uh, Americans for, for, uh, from going down the, the you know the the full uh, the full way to uh, popular control of uh, the means of production, distribution, and exchange. I think you know the first was uh, would be unsurprising, which is that uh, businesses uh, stood up for themselves and said, "No, uh, we don't want this. Uh, we, we are going to uh, uh, we are going to oppose the, these methods." And so, uh, businessmen would would fund uh, things like the Liberty League, uh, and then uh, in the 1970s, you know, the the, the creation of uh, of the Heritage Foundation and uh, other think tanks that, that that were there to oppose this government control of the economy, but the other uh, the, the other source of uh, opposition, I think, is, is a surprising one. Uh, it was American labor unions. Uh, American labor unions, uh, actually, uh, especially under uh, 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 under some of the uh, the early leaders of the uh, of the AFL, like Samuel Gompers and so on, uh, they they strongly opposed socialism. Uh, they, they they viewed it was uh, uh, the, 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 their job was to get the best deal for their workers, 
not for um, their members, not for uh, not not to be uh, revolutionaries uh, and to, uh, to to bring about uh, societal change, uh, and that, you know they recognise that that uh, that job for them of getting the best deal for their members uh, meant that the uh, the industries that they uh, that that, that uh, they were working in. They had to be uh, profitable and uh, have uh, good growth uh, prospects and the rest. So they recognised that, uh, uh, that 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 uh, a, a, a liberal capitalist economy uh, was actually better for them than um, uh, the, 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 than, uh, than a socialist economy. Uh, I think uh, both of those have changed. Uh, I think we, we've seen. Uh, American business has uh, has moved much more uh, towards the, uh, the the attitude of trying to buy off uh, government uh, or work with government uh, rather than try to uh, oppose uh, the expansion of government. And similarly, uh, labor unions uh, have, uh, be, be, because of some changes in the 1960s, uh, labor unions have become much more. Uh, dominated by government workers rather than private sector workers. And so they see uh, the expansion of government as being uh, a good thing for them uh, when they uh, previously did not. Let me kind of follow up on the other aspect as well. Would you say the radical, is there a much more, like in colleges today, I'm going to say that that uh, you know, you have a much more different, let's say, professorship. I mean, certainly in the days of, let's say, the, the 70s or the 80s, I would use the word liberals, where there was you know, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily, you know, liberals as far as today, it's a much more radical set of professorship. Yes, I, I think that's uh, that's very much the case. If, if, if you look at the surveys of the professoriate, uh, the, um, the, the uh, liberals and conservatives were uh, 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 about equal uh, through the 1980s, and then through the 1990s, uh, uh, there began, began to be many more liberals uh, than conservatives. And now it's got to the stage when there where there are. Uh, very few conservatives. In fact, they are uh, outnumbered by those who regard themselves as uh, uh, radical leftists uh, in, in, in the professoriate. So, so the, the, there's been a, a, a very sudden uh, change there. Uh, and also, when you when you uh, consider that um, that there are a lot of disciplines where. Uh, Politics doesn't really enter into it, especially you know, engineering uh, and uh, and the like. Um, and uh, so, so, uh, so, so when you consider that, that, that those will be uh, more immune to politicization than, uh, say, the humanities, you, you realize then that that probably means that the humanities have, uh, are almost uniformly uh, 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 liberal or extreme left now. Uh, with with very few conservatives indeed, so that's been a, a considerable change. Yeah, it, it, I guess like, maybe because, like I say, I've, I'm going to say in my own lifetime, you know, I've never seen it treated more seriously as an ideal. 
you know, I look at the Democratic Party. If you look at, let's say, somebody like uh, Bernie Sanders, in the 1980s, he was a backbencher. But on two separate occasions, he was like the number two guy running for president within the nomination. And a good portion of his ideas are now pretty much a platform. You know, Alexander Cortez's rise to power in a short period of time. And there were Democratic Socialists, uh, you know, the squad, uh, what do you call their final squad? They too have now become serious players within the Democratic Party. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at I me. Mean, you know, this is something that in my lifetime, certainly, if you look at let's say the 1990s, you know, you know, Bill Clinton, like Tony Blair, basically accepted Reaganism and just simply say we're the new Democrats. Today, that's been totally rejected. Your thoughts? Yes, I, I, I think uh, you know if, if we go back to college, uh, then uh, the, 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 there's a very interesting statistic that uh, that, 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 that astonished me. Uh, my colleague Phil Magnus uh, did did research into the um, uh, all the syllabuses that have been posted uh, online at American universities, and he worked out that the um, the second most prescribed uh, text uh, in uh, in all of American, uh, 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 all of American universities, uh, leaving aside things like elements of style and things like that, the second most, most prescribed text is actually uh, the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, and that this, of course, isn't being prescribed in engineering class. It, it generally isn't being prescribed in economics class, uh, but it's it is being prescribed in a lot of uh, uh, a lot of classes which you wouldn't think uh, had any uh, any real revel- relevance to uh, to, uh, to communism. It's being pres- uh, prescribed in English class. It's being uh, prescribed in history class. It's being prescribed in, uh, in in anthropology, in sociology, in any of the classes that have the word studies after it. Uh, it's it, it's almost universally prescribed in those classes, and so you know it 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 should come as no surprise to us that the younger generation is much more open uh, to, uh, to to socialism if they are being uh, forced to read this uh, this foundational text of, of socialism and are not being asked to read uh, uh, anything by say uh, uh, Friedrich Hayek. Or, uh, or or any of the uh, any of the great or Milton Friedman or any of the great free market economists in opposition to it. This is Tom Donaldson on the Donaldson Files uh, with Ian Murray uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And also the the Life Cafe broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center located at 2920 East Market Street in Greensboro, North Carolina. The broadcast features a Bible study-like atmosphere while taking a laid-back approach to learning the Word of God served with a free continental breakfast. Can't beat that. Listen to this broadcast every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And remember, if you're interested in having your own show or just advertising on the fastest growing network, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. Hey, listen and stay informed. And don't forget that you and the law does follow the Donaldson Files tonight on the Block Talk Radio Network. And don't forget you can listen to our show on the bachelornews.airtime.pro, 3 a.m. to 10 a.m. If you want to uh, get in on this conversation, it's 646-929-0130. 646-929-0130. And before we get to the next question, just kind of remind everybody, uh, Ian, where they can get your books. Yes, uh, uh, you- online. Go online and bookstores. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, you can get it online at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Uh, if uh, so, you can order the hard copy from them. Uh, if you have an e-reader like a Kindle, then you can uh, then you can get the Kindle version. Uh, you can get an audio version from Amazon as well if if, if you'd like to sort of listen to it on CD in the car. And uh, and uh, if if you want to go out to a bookstore, then slowly but surely, uh, I, I believe that the bookstores are starting to get the copies in now. But good. And also regne.com. Regnery.com. R-E-G-N-E-R-Y.com is the publisher. And so you can get it direct from them as well if you don't want to uh, uh, go, go via uh, Amazon. Right. Okay, welcome. Okay, back to our discussion here. Okay, we talked about the colleges. We talked about the temptation. Uh, how about the question of inequality? Because, again, the biggest complaints you know, one has against free market economics, inequality. You know, it's just there is an aspect of inequality of income between groups, between individuals. You know, what in your book you kind of, you know, discuss this. So kind of summarize, first of all, exactly the inequality issue as you see it. Is it a problem or is it a reflection of the system? How would you, what would you say? Well, yes. Uh, a, a few years ago, when when, when the, uh, the, the the big question uh, of politics was was income inequality, uh, my, my colleague Ryan Young and I looked uh, looked at this, uh, and uh, uh, we realised that, uh, that there, there was a, a bit of a um, a, uh, a sort of leisure demand going on here, a sort of a, a sleight of hand. Um, the uh, inequality uh, uh, sounds like it's going to be a problem if we are talking about uh, ine- uh, inequality of opportunity. Uh, inequality of opportunity uh, is, is a bad thing. If you if if you are uh, forced to, uh, to, to to start out off, off, off behind the curve. Then uh, you know your chances of you uh, of you catching up are, 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 are going to be less. So, so uh, traditionally, uh, uh, American uh, concepts of inequality have uh, have, uh, have have centered around this. Uh, recently, we've seen uh, a sort of sleight of hand. So it's it's now all about inequality of outcome. Uh, so so uh, and, and, or equity as uh, as they call it now. Uh, so. Even if uh, you have had exactly the same opportunity, uh, but you have done uh, less well than somebody else, uh, 
then that is uh, viewed as a sign that there is something uh, wrong with the system. Uh, so, so there's been a sort of uh, a sleight of hand change there between inequality of, uh, of opportunity and inequality of outcome. But beyond all of this, there, there, there is a, a, a bigger question with, with the whole inequality debate, which is how are the poor actually doing? And that's something that the, 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 the socialists and their philosophers and their uh, economists like Thomas Piketty uh, they never really answer that question. And that's because under the capitalist system, uh, the poor have been doing so much better than uh, the poor have under any other system. Uh, it, 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 it's uh, visible in all the, uh, uh, all, the, uh, uh, all the data, in all the, uh, uh, the economic indexes and so on. Uh, the, the, the poor do better under capitalism than they do under uh, under any other system. So so, so we are, uh, so, so they are left trying to trying to find ways to massage the data. Uh, for instance, they will say that well, the middle class is shrinking, uh, uh, with the assumption being that uh, that, that, that this is because uh, uh, people in the middle class are becoming poorer. All the data suggests that. Uh, the number of poor people has reduced, like I've just said, uh, and the number of middle class people is reducing because m uh, many more people uh, are moving into the, uh, the, the well-off uh, rich brackets uh, that, than have ever done before. So, uh, so all, if, in, in all of these things, uh, you have to look beyond uh, the, the, the simple accusation that inequality is a problem and look at the actual data. And when you, when you do that and you look and you see how the poor and the middle class are actually doing, uh, then you will realize that uh, inequality isn't nearly the problem that, uh, that it's been made out to be. Well, let me let me Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here in this way. You know, I just say to you, like during the Reagan years and even throughout the Clinton years going into this century, the middle class and the poor were going up the economic ladder. You could make that argument. You know, could you say, let's say between 2009 and let's say the most recent recession, have you seen a falling back? Yeah. You know, between falling back on that, where maybe the middle class is feeling squeezed, you know, feeling that squeeze that maybe instead of seeing their income always you know, going up, it's either stagnating, and, and, and certainly one can look at the number of workers, you know, let's say between 2009 and the present, where you let's say where labor participation has been lower among those 25 to 55. You know, what would be your response to that? Well, I think uh, when, when it comes to this question, uh, again, we actually have to look uh, you know, beyond the, uh, uh, the sort of headlines and, and, and try and look at, at what the causes may be of, um, you know, of, of uh, the, uh, the people uh, – People who are feeling squeezed, because you know, undoubtedly there are there are some people uh, who are feeling squeezed. Uh, a lot of them in the uh, the, 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 the country's heartland. Uh, but when you when you look at it, uh, it's uh, it, it's not uh, uh, necessarily 
the, the caused by uh, capitalist disruption, uh, the sort of general uh, disruption that you will get uh, in, in any free market economy. Uh, it, 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 it tends to be uh, a, f a failure of adjustment. And the, uh, in other words, uh, people lose, for instance, people lose a job. Uh, in normal circumstances, there'd be one there uh, to go to, uh, but there isn't one, uh, a, a different job to go to, but there isn't one. So why is that? And when you look beyond the, the data, then you see that this is almost always caused by uh, excessive regulation, which is stopping new businesses from forming to take up the opportunity of uh, you know, a, 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 a skilled workforce uh, which suddenly uh, needs jobs, uh, or by excessive taxation, which is uh, which is also uh, ha having uh, a, a, a similar effect. Um, if, if, if you look at uh, the, the uh, figures for dynamism, which is basically the, the number of new businesses that, 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 that are forming, um, that's where there's, there is a really big problem uh, in, in this country at the moment. And that isn't the fault of capitalism. Capitalism wants uh, to create those new businesses but all the regulation that we've piled on uh, throughout the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and up until uh, up until 2016, all that regulation that was that, that was piled on uh, to, to, to businesses has had a devastating effect on uh, on dynamism. It's difficult to hire people. It's difficult to raise money to start new business. It's difficult to find the money to, to, to pay to, to fuel your business, uh, all because of, of regulation on labor, regulation on finance, regulation on the environment. Uh, all of these things come together to, to, to mean that that, uh, that escape valve that the, uh, that the economy needs of the creation of, 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 of new businesses just isn't there. And that's what really harms uh, the heartland and leads to the middle class feeling as if they're being squeezed. Let me, yeah, let me catch on one thing because uh, okay, we've got about, five, you know, about a few minutes left in the show. Okay, we've got the Republican National Convention and certainly somewhere along the line renegotiating or the, re, the new NAFTA. Now you are critical of the new NAFTA in your book. Did you explain you know, your criticism of the Trump approach to NAFTA? Well, yes. I mean, uh, 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 what I was just talking about with uh, you know, restrictions on uh, from labour and the environment regulation um, that that's very much in play in in, in, the, in the replacement of, uh, of NAFTA. NAFTA had uh, side agreements uh, that that that, uh, that that imposed uh, regulation in these two in these two areas. Uh, the new USMCA actually embodies those within the. Uh, uh, with, within the, uh, the, the agreement, so, uh, so so this agreement is actually basically a, re a regulatory harmonisation uh, across uh, across North America. When what you really need is uh, regulatory competition, uh, where, where people can say, "Oh well, if we got rid of this regulation, we'll have an advantage over uh, over Canada," and then Canada will think, "Oh well, we better get rid of that regulation too," and uh, 
dynamism will increase and there'll be more trade and more business and uh, that wealth will uh, you know, uh, will, will, will uh, reach out to uh, to, to, to everybody uh, uh, prices will be lower uh, incomes uh, will be higher unfortunately USMCA didn't take that approach it took this this approach of harmonization uh, which has led to which will, will lead to a sort of um, uh, a, a growing sclerosis across the North American economy, exactly the same way uh, that, that, that we saw uh, in, in, in Europe when they decided to harmonise all their all their regulation uh, in, in the European Union. Hey, let's kind of maybe as a follow up to that question, because there is that the social temptation, and we only got a couple minutes left, but okay. You know, is Trump and many Republicans, and I'm going to take like Tucker Carlson as an example, are talking less and less free market approaches and more of an industrial policy, more of a, like, for example, I've always kind of viewed NAFTA as managed trade and the idea we to try to increase trade, but there's that managed aspect of it. And the European Union have been doing that. Are we seeing that temptation even going even beyond what we've done in the past among some of those on the right. Yeah, I, I, I think this, this is a very big problem. And you, uh, pe- people are looking and they're, and they're seeing that, that, uh, that, 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 that those problems I mentioned earlier uh, with uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the middle class being squeezed and, uh, uh, and, and, and there being no relief in sight. So they're thinking, well, okay, if, 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 if we get elected on a, uh, a platform of, uh, of, of relief for this, what's the easiest way to do it? Well, the easiest way to do it is to, uh, is to have uh, some sort of uh, government, uh, government program uh, that 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 will uh, you know, uh, get bus- uh, get businesses back to uh, back uh, back to uh, uh, the heartland. You know, it, so if if we uh, if we uh, tamp- tamp down on trade, then uh, th- those businesses will have to come back. The trouble is, as long as you have these uh, these uh, restrictive regulations and punitive taxation uh, rules in place, that's probably not going to happen. So in the end, you, so you'll say, okay, well in that case, we'll need to have subsidies, and uh, and and so on. And then, then all you're doing is uh, basically uh, doing exactly the same, same thing as the socialists do, which is saying that the bureaucrats can decide which industries need to be where in America, and that's uh, that, that, that's not uh, a recipe for, uh, for for economic success. Uh, every time industrial policy has been tried around the world, we've seen the economy stagnate. And uh, eventually, people come to their senses and say, say "Let's have free markets again." And so, hopefully, uh, that will that will happen soon. Okay. So, uh, before we uh, look and go off the, you know, before we go in, in the show, I want to thank you very much for being on the show, uh, Ian Murray. Uh, the the book is "The Socialist Temptation." And there's one quick thing. Why don't you talk very briefly about the Competitive Enterprise Institute and where people can find out more about where they can find out more about the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Go ahead. 
Yes, uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute is a think tank based in Washington, D.C. We were founded in 1984 uh, because our founder, Fred Smith, was very concerned about this, uh, this, this rise in regulation that, that, that he was seeing. Uh, so, so we exist to draw attention to that and provide uh, uh, policy ideas for, uh, for, for uh, reducing the burdens of regulation and increasing the dynamism of American society. Uh, we are uh, on the web at CEI. Dot org, CEI.org. We're on Twitter at, at CEI.org, one word. And uh, uh, we, we have uh, lots of ideas uh, there. And uh, uh, lots of my colleagues, like uh, John Burlow, who was on your show recently, uh, they, they, they post at, uh, at the Open Market blog there. So you can see uh, what ideas we're trying to, trying to push. Well, thank you very much, sir, and I uh, appreciate you taking your time being on the show. This is Ian Murray, The Socialist Temptation, and also associated with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow night is Ladies' Night with Coco Konsky, Lauren Bies, Cece Harrison, and your ladies. You want to participate because they'll talk relationships, and nothing is taboo with the three of them, so you'll love that show. Tom Donaldson saying goodnight from the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Network. Welcome you to uh, You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, you are uh, listening to one of the co-hosts of the show, uh, Chief Virgil Green, and the uh, the host of the show, the uh, Chief Swag, Keith Humphrey. Uh, how you doing today, sir? What's going on, Virgil? Not a whole lot, brother. It's not a whole lot, man. I mean, there's a lot going on, but... Man, we've got a, a a lot to talk about uh, over the next hour on the uh, UN the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and so it's a it's a good day. It's a good day, sir. Man, anytime I can be on the show with you, man, produced by LA, man, it's a good day, man. Oh, hey, man, we we definitely uh, got to send a shout out to uh, to LA for allowing us to be on his his network and, and to, to bring to our listeners a show that, um, that is informative uh, where we discuss uh, law enforcement topics and we discuss, you know, your rights as, as citizens when dealing with law enforcement. Uh, coming from two, uh, you know, uh, veteran law enforcement officers. So, Keith, I think, you know, we, uh, if we have some new listeners, we'll just kind of, 
introduce ourselves uh, about our backgrounds, uh, you know, history and law enforcement to where, you know, our, our new listeners can, uh, can understand the experience and knowledge that we have with the topics that we talk about. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've got over uh, 60 years of law enforcement experience combined. And, uh, you know, we've got, uh, we've got some pretty, I think, uh, I think we're, we're kind of knowledgeable in these, in the areas that we talk about, uh, but we keep it real. Uh, we keep it real. Uh, we don't try to sugarcoat it. Uh, if it's something that in law enforcement that uh, doesn't seem right, we'll talk about it. If it's something that, that seems appropriate, we'll talk about it. But the main thing is we want the citizens, uh, the listeners, to feel free to call in and ask questions. So don't feel like there's any question you can't ask us. And uh, if we don't have the answer, we'll get it for you. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, you touched on is the fact that we, uh, we're open and honest about uh, the topics that we talk about. Uh, uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, people will – will say, you know, you guys don't sound like you're police chiefs, or you, you guys sound like you're against the police, but, you know, we're not, Keith. Uh, you, know, our, you know, our perspective is that we want to be informative and we want uh, citizens to know what their rights are, but we also want to make sure that the officers uh, uh, understand what citizens' rights are when they're uh, dealing with them. So, uh, so their rights are not violated, and so we don't end up with with uh, circumstances of, of that we continue to see with you know the protesting and and the things that are, have come about uh, that's led up to those protesting. So um, it's just it's just a good way to to have this com- uh, this conversation with our listeners, Keith, and the fact that you know I don't think there's there's not that many podcast shows that address law enforcement topics uh, the way uh, we are, are taking that on. And uh, so hopefully the listeners are uh, become more knowledgeable. And, and again, you know, we want to remind if you're a first time listener, you know, the call in number to the show is uh, 646-929-0130 and at 646-929-0130. And for those of you who, uh, are new to the show. Uh, you can follow us on our social media. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at, uh, at you and the law. You can follow us on Instagram. That's you underscore in the law. You can also follow us on Twitter at the, the law at you, the law one. So there's a lot of ways you can uh, reach out to us and, and share some comments. But uh, if you do call into the show, um, let the producer know that you've got a comment or a question or you'd like to, to come on air. If you would just like to leave your comment and he'll share that comment with us. But uh, Keith, you know, just a, a good open dialogue about the things that are, that continue to happen uh, across the country with law enforcement. And, you know, we, we're going to talk about some uh, citizens rights when dealing with the police, but we can't overlook what has happened in the last uh, 48 hours, Keith, uh, you know, what happened in Wisconsin and then also what happened in, in Lafayette. I think what happened in Lafayette is kind of uh, on a local level is there, but on a national level, 
the 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 attention has definitely been uh, shifted toward what hap- what has happened in uh, in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we had a few protesters out last night, um, you know, showing their uh, support for the family of the gentleman who was killed in, in Kenosha. And, uh, you know, there was a press conference today uh, mm-hmm. regarding um, his condition and the, uh, the, you know, the concern from the community. And from what I gather, he's paralyzed from the waist down and yeah, had to go they, back into surgery. So it's, it's a sad situation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Keith, you know, just, a week ago, I mean, I believe not even a week ago, last Friday uh, uh, in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, you know, the police department is co- coming under scrutiny after, uh, again, a, a citizen cell phone footage uh, caught uh, multiple officers shooting uh, a black male who was armed with a, with a knife but who was walking away from the officers. Um, well, they, uh, it's believed that they shot him somewhere over 11 times, multiple police officers, or maybe just one officer. But he, um, again, they, you know, were, they tased him. It didn't have any impact on him. Uh, he continued to walk down the street. Uh, but you had a, a young lady, one of the, the videos I've seen where, uh, I think she's the only one may have recorded it, um, caught everything that took place leading up to the um, uh, to them shooting this gentleman as he tried to enter into a convenience store. So, you know, and then you've got this and this is going on in uh, the, the protest is still going on in, on in Louisville with uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, where, you know, Keith, I think it's almost like, 90 days of, of protesting that is that has uh, occurred in in Louisville, and all of them, most of them, have been peaceful, not to the level of destruction of private property as we've seen in Wisconsin. Uh, so, it, it's it's some challenging times for law enforcement. Oh, it extremely is, and I don't think we're going to see. Uh, the concerns of the citizens, I don't think we're going to see those go silent anytime soon. Uh, I think we're going to continue, but you know, the, I think the thing that, well, I know the thing that bothers me the most is the destruction of the community. Uh, yeah. I understand the frustration. I understand uh, the, the being tired of being tired, but I still to this day don't understand the purpose of the destruction, especially in communities of color uh, when uh you know, there those a lot of them are locally owned businesses, and even the businesses that may not be locally owned, they employ people in that community, and so I, you know, that's one of the most disheartening and gut wrenching things when you see, um, you know, property being damaged. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct, and uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about is a video that we uh, shared on our uh, you and the law Facebook page. Um, and we're going to give a chance for our listeners to listen to the audio clip of that. Once we come back from break, but to set this up, Keith, um, you know, so many people have reached out about what are their rights when dealing with the police on their private property. 
and uh, we're going to talk about that uh, when we come out of the break, and we're going to listen to an audio clip uh, once we come back from the break. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. He don't even know my name and tell him I have a warrant. What did, what did he do? That's what I'm saying. For what? For what? From Louisiana. For what? For what? Yeah. I don't even live in Louisiana. All right. So tonight we'd like to know what you think about this video. Is this a case of racial profiling? Or is the deputy just doing his job after getting a tip about a fugitive spotted in a neighborhood in Northeast Harris County? The heated confrontation was caught on camera, and tonight we are talking to both sides. So we definitely want you to weigh in, so get your phones, open the KHU 11 app, go to KHU.com, look for the Vote Now section in the menu. But before you vote, here is Larry Seward at the Harris County Precinct 4 Constable's Office with the full story. Larry? Mia, the man in that video cussing out deputies, says he felt profiled, his civil rights violated, while Constable Mark Herman saw no wrong. My name is not Quentin. All agree bad info led to that near arrest debated and seen over a million times on Facebook. But how it started... Yeah, I was frightened. I was terrified. ...has Clarence Evans III, his family and lawyer... He took two men with dreadlocks and decided that they were the same person. ...at odds with cops. That is not profiling. That's an officer doing their job. Evans claims Deputy Garrett Lindley showed up alone asking about the family's dog, saying it was missing when told no. So he said, okay, well, I'm going to just write a report and get out your hair. And he asked me for my ID, and I told him I didn't feel I need to ID myself because I'm on my, I'm my property. I'm on my private property. So he asked me, well, what's your name? I told him my name is Clarence. And that's when he told me, no, your name is Ridge, and you have a warrant out of Louisiana. You touching me while you say You need to step back and calm down. No. Evans' wife recorded her husband Sir, cussing out the deputy who grabbed her husband's arm, arm, called him Reg, Quentin, then looked at a photo of the fugitive and let Evans go. And that, that was the only thing we had in common was Ridge and all skin complexion. Precinct 4 Constable Mark Herman told us the deputy did no wrong. He just reacted to a caller's tip. In a statement, his spokesman added, the deputy was there on official business based on a report that a wanted fugitive was near the location. The deputies left when they determined that this man was not the suspect they were seeking. This officer just rolled up without a call for service without a civilian saying this is a guy with a warrant, I would feel very differently about this case. Houston Police Union President Joe Camaldi said Evans should have just obeyed, but the way things started, Evans felt lied to and in danger. Especially what just happened with the HPD and two people lost their lives behind a warrant. Last year, a grand jury no-billed the deputy involved for shooting someone else. Evans' family now wants him fired, but so far, Constable Herman sees no reason for it. And Constable Herman points out that Evans has filed no formal complaint to this point. He and his lawyer told me they are still gathering information and they did not rule out filing a complaint or a lawsuit. We're live in spring. Larry Seward, KTU 11 News. Hey, we want to welcome you back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You just listened to an uh, audio clip recording from a, a local news station out of the uh, uh, Houston area where um, – uh, a man was uh, it, it was in his front yard. He was uh, approached uh, by a sheriff constable who uh, saw him outside. He stopped him, uh, basically said that he was um, accused him of being another person, and he was he was not that person. And uh, he attempted to arrest him based on the fact that he said that he had a warrant out of Louisiana. So, um, it, you know, 
what I think Keith's one of the the things that just really kind of concerning, and it goes back to the the public's uh, attitude toward law enforcement and that that lack of trust is when you hear uh, one of the officials with this agency says that this constable didn't do anything wrong, that he was there on official business. And to see and to see that the picture that he had on his cell phone of a man in another state that he's trying to arrest, making an, an arrest, uh, there's some there's some concerns with that, and I think that's why people are asking the questions: What rights do they have on their property in in a situation like this here? You know. Uh, so that is something that, you know, hope, you know, our listeners, uh, if you've got any questions or any comments about what you just heard, please feel free to, to call into the show at uh, 646-929-0130 as we talk about that, that video, uh, the audio that we just listened to. But the video is actually on our Facebook page, uh, so you can actually watch that video. So it's, it, there's a lot of questions about how that was handled, Keith. Yeah, I, you know, and I think that there is some confusion whether what an officer's rights are and what a citizen's rights are when it comes to their property. And it, and it goes back to what we've always said. An officer has to have probable cause or a reasonable, reasonable suspicion of probable cause to come onto your property. Um, you know, we, we can't cross the line when it comes to private property. Uh, we we still have to have a right. So an investigation that we have received, uh, something that we see in our view, in our presence, uh, you know, uh, something imminent, uh, we do have that. We do have that right. I think there was a way to handle that, you know, and I think the way was, hey, man, how's it going? Listen, I got this, I got this warrant or I got this picture of this person that looks similar to you. Um, you mind if I ask you your name? And if this is not you, I get on about my business. I think that goes a long way than basically trying to force this man to give you your ID. Now, I think there's people that would argue with that, is that he was doing his job. Nobody's saying the officer wasn't doing his job. What we're saying is there probably was a different way to approach that. Number one, I wouldn't be out there alone trying to serve a warrant. That's the first thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if it does go south, it does rise. It does um, heighten the potential of you having to use some type of force up to lethal force. So that's number one. And number two, the communication uh, could have been better. But you know we've got to quit being so defensive. But at the same time, what would have been wrong for the gentleman to say, "Hey, this is my name. This is my ID. That's not me." Okay, we're we're gone. So I think. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that it's private property. We get so caught up in the fact that officers don't have a right to do this. You know, we, uh, you know, citizens sometimes can contribute to it, but at the same time, we're the ones that know the law. We're the ones that know we just can't walk on people's property for no reason. And we do, we're the ones that know that we are talking about de-escalation and procedural justice and sometimes I don't think we get. I don't think we do a really good job of following those, uh, you know, the procedural justice or uh, de-escalation tactics, or just uh, the emotional intelligence, or the fact of, 
hey, just tell people why you're there. Uh, and I think we can do a better job of that. Yeah, yeah. And, hey, we want to uh, make sure that we remind those uh, our listeners that you, you're, if you call into the show, you, the calls are being screened. So if you would like to come on air and, and have a comment with us on air, uh, let the producer of the show know that. Or if you don't have a comment, just, just say you don't and you're just going to listen to the show uh, or you would like to leave a comment. But you also can go into the chat room uh, on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network and uh, leave those comments on the uh in the chat room so um because apparently you know Keith, this is a pretty hot topic and uh, uh we're gonna uh definitely uh have a lot of people uh asking questions about uh this topic um and so uh la i think he uh has something that he wants to uh, come on and mention about yeah um good evening guys one uh person um had mentioned Maybe with uh, Chief Humphrey's uh, comment about, you know, destroying property, he said in his neighborhood, a lot of the uh, small businesses are um, silent and on deaf ears when cops come in and do bad things. So he said maybe some of these neighborhoods that they're targeting because some of these uh, businesses are an enablers of bad cops. And I would add that um, what you said, uh, Chief Green, in regards to compliance, and, and again, that's in a perfect world. But for some of us, we already been being harassed forever. And then he's going to come on my property and question me on top of it? Well, it's already going to be some attitude there because we've already been dealing with them, you know what, with some bad cops. And now you're going to get a cop to come on your property and demand to know who you are. So I can relate to that, brother. I'm not saying he's right, but I can relate to him. Uh, and so I'll let you guys respond to those two uh, comments. Okay. All right. Well, and you know, I'll just jump in and say, uh, in reference to the to the audio clip that we listened to, you know, I think, you know, the, the constable um, started, he started off on the wrong foot. I think, he was misleading as to why he was there. He stated he was there in reference to some kind of animal complaint or something with a dog. And then he said, oh, I'll just, I, you know, just take a report. So I need to get your information. So, you know, he had driven by and saw this gentleman uh, from his patrol car based on the picture that he had on his cell phone. He assumed that this gentleman in the yard was the person that he that had an outstanding warrant in a in another state not not in not in the county that he was in but had a warrant out of another state and so you know you can understand the 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 homeowner's reaction uh in the fact that his wife you know she's recording it on her cell phone and the fact that told the officer what his name was, but the officer didn't believe him. And so now you go back and forth, and I think you have some people who will say, well, why not just tell him who you are? Why not just show him your ID? And But you got that side of a black man who, uh, and, and it could even be a white person, but I think we, we see it more so with black men, 
where why do I have to prove to you who I am when I didn't call you and you're here on something that I don't know anything about? So that's where you get the, the power struggle from the police saying, well, I've got the authority. You, you need to tell me who you are. If you don't, then I'm going to take you to jail. Uh, or it can end up going in a different direction. But then you've got the property owner who's basically saying, no, I don't have to tell you who I am. So, um, again, Keith, you know, just listening, watching the video and not just listening to it, uh, the constable was definitely misleading to the homeowner uh, as to why he was there on his property. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you and I in LA talked about this the other day. Uh, you know, it's it, you can't walk on a you can't walk on a person's property, especially a man's property, uh, and tell that man what he you know what he can do and what he can't do. Now, you know, like I said earlier, there are those, there are those incidents where everything's imminent, and, and, and you do have to go on the property because you're investigating. But I think you can still leave a person with their dignity. You can't tell a man that where he, it's difficult for you and you have to understand that you tell a man that he's got to shut up on his property. You tell a man he's lying. You know, we've, we've got to stop thinking that everybody's lying to us. And we've got to stop thinking that we've got to have this uh, John Wayne mentality with everyone we dealt with, deal with, because somebody says, I'm not going to give you a name or I'm not going to do this. Uh, you got to stop that. There's a way to there, there's a way to, to, to handle now. Somebody gets to combative and, and resistant, and it gets physical. That's a different situation. But I still say there was a way to handle that. Hey man, this is the deal. Yeah. You, you look like this guy may not be you. We could solve this really quick, man. What's your name? Here's a picture of this guy. As you can see, it's a resemblance. Is this you or not? The guy probably would have pulled out his ID and said, "Man, this is me. This is my name." Blah blah blah. Okay, we go on about our business. But when you start, you know, on a person's property, as as we say uh, in in the hood, disrespecting me on my property and calling mm-hmm. me a liar, we're gonna have some problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you know, with this with this situation in uh, in the Houston area, where you know he called this man by another name. The man is telling him, you know, what, you know, my name isn't so-and-so. My name is, is Quentin, uh, and, you know, this is who I am. So why do I need to, to prove to you who I am when I don't even know why you're even here? So it just goes back to that trust. That's why people continue to say they have this lack of trust with law enforcement. But, Keith, we're going to – Take a, a quick break. Uh, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe Radio Broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Hey, we want to welcome you back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We want to 
remind our listeners that uh, the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And also we want to remind you of the many other great shows that are on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And one of those shows is Locker Talk with Barry Bonds. Uh, Barry, um, uh, you can you can listen to Barry as he talks about, uh, you know, the NFL stars of tomorrow, today. Uh, you can listen to Barry every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at blogtalkradio.com. Uh, and on the podcast every day from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, with back-to-back episodes at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And if you're interested in having your own show on the Bachelor News Radio Network or if you're interested in advertising on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network, you can reach out to us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. That's labachelor40 at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, listen to the, the great show, the many other shows that's on the Bachelor News Radio Network and listen and stay informed. And one of the shows that uh, you can definitely stay informed with is uh, You and the Law, Keith. Uh, you know, we're talking about citizens' rights when dealing with police on their uh, on their property and, you know, that uh, clip that we listened to uh, a little while ago, it could have definitely went a different way. You know, the op- the officer could have said that this man was resisting arrest. He could have put out a gun. He could have shot him. You know, so many things could have happened. Um, but, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, officers go through so much training, and they know what they can and cannot do, but we continue to see these repetitive incidents uh, across the country, Keith, where officers lose their uh, composure. Uh, they begin to assault uh, citizens. Um, they begin to to mislead citizens. They lie to citizens. And, and this video, um, at the end of the this incident in the Houston area, Keith, the officer really looked at pretty – incompetent he looked at you know pretty and i hate to use the word stupid but i just have to say it is the way it is is that he realized that oh well hey you're not the person that i thought you were so now he drive gets in the car and drive away but he has ruined any what's wrong chance with saying, of what's, what's wrong with saying i'm sorry man yeah he never said uh, it was wrong he never said it you know yeah yeah and 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 I believe he was a sergeant with that with that uh, department, but you know what people really need to understand what we want our listeners to understand is that officers there's a lot of training that that is put into police officers and the officers really need to utilize that training and know how to approach. I don't care if you black white. Spanish, whatever race you are, learn how to approach the citizens that you're dealing with because that police officer ruined any chance of him having a positive relationship with this person in his neighborhood, and now that man is going to tell his neighbors what happened, and they may see it because this video has been viewed, I think, some something around 20 million times. So 
But the disturbing thing, and I go back and say, Keith, is that you've got an agency who doesn't even acknowledge that this was something that shouldn't have happened. Basically, the officer didn't do anything wrong. He had a legitimate reason for being there. So that's why the public feels the way they do with police officers across the country. And, you know, people will always say, and we will always acknowledge that there's a lot of good men and women in law enforcement, but it is the ones, the bad ones are the ones that continue to be recorded by citizens or even on their own body cam uh, doing things that are violating a person's rights. I'm still trying to get over the fact that he didn't say, Hey man, I made a mistake, or hey, I'm sorry, or can we talk about this? Can I can you understand where I'm coming from? And then I'm still getting over the fact of you're going to go out and serve a warrant, but if and just say that if you were going to serve this warrant or this was the person, you're going to go out and serve this warrant by yourself, by yourself, not with a yeah. backup, by yourself. That yeah. that right there just gets me. I just I don't get that. Yeah, and and I guess you know Keith, you know we uh, when Ellie came on, you know we uh, he had a few comments and and uh, you know we definitely don't, we want to make sure we uh, you know uh, reply to the comments with our with our listeners. So uh, the the comments were related to uh, how the officers are are interacting with 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 citizens. I believe Keith, unless you uh, you have some follow-up on the comments that uh, L.A. discussed when he came on air with us? Yeah, I think, he, I think I'm pretty sure the other part was about uh, damaging property and said yeah. that uh, bad experience with police and with, and with, uh, and with the businesses uh, uh, can uh, cause that. And, and I still say I get it. I get people get frustrated. But but when you but this is what the media shows. The media, the 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 nation doesn't see, or what the prop it doesn't see the bad actions of that business owner or that policeman. Um, they what they see is they see individuals, whether they're from that neighborhood, that community or not, damaging property, setting things on fire, breaking windows, looting. That's what they see. And so if you're trying to send a message that you're tired of what's going on in the community, uh, it doesn't say it's, it doesn't send the right message when the nation see um, when the nation sees you damaging the, the properties in your community uh, where people have to shop and where people have to, you know, and some people have options. Some people have options. They may not have to shop at that store. They may not have to shop at that, buy gas at that station, but there are individuals in that community that depend on and rely on those to get some of the basic needs. So you don't, you don't damage it. If you, you just don't damage property, no matter what, if you're going to protest, you protest, you do so peacefully. Uh, You're not remembering or you're not honoring the name of an individual that may have been uh, uh, killed uh, by law enforcement, you're not honoring them by damaging and tearing up and looting and hurting people. You honor them by, um, if you want to boycott, you honor them by 
speaking to your 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 your, your state, local, and national and federal representatives. You honor them by uh, uh, making local officials listen to you, make the police chief listen to you. You honor them by getting things changed, but not by damaging property and hurting people. You you don't you don't honor people that way. No, and and that was one of the things, Keith, that the mother uh, stated in Wisconsin uh, about her son. That you know, to to those people who have been out uh, destroying property, uh, you know, the things that they're that they are doing is not going to change anything that happened to her son. So by them destroying car dealerships, I think there was a, a car dealership that was totally destroyed, $1.5 million worth of uh, vehicles destroyed. Well, when you destroyed that car dealership, you've put people who work at that car dealership out of a job in the middle of a a pandemic, and now they've got to figure out where they're going to work at. Uh, And so the things, the actions of people that are a part of these protests can have long-lasting impacts on communities. And oftentimes, sometimes you see some of these protesters are not from the community. Uh, They're not. I think we may have have gotten some confusion on that. I think what he was saying is that, uh, I think what we're saying is a good point, but I think, I believe that um, we missed the point of there are people who um, feel and get disappointed when you have those those companies that support bad policing and stand right. up and say, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and there and there have been bit major businesses, uh, you know, we don't want to say any names or anything, but there have been major <laughs> businesses that have that have uh, shown their support for the FOP and shown their support uh, the officer that uh, uh, the, in Minneapolis, uh, they've shown their support for some of the things that that uh, have come from Washington, have come from the White House regarding law enforcement support on some of the way they respond. And so I think there are people that get, I know there are people that get frustrated, especially people of color who get frustrated when you have a big box stores who condone and support uh, uh, these kind of actions. So I can see the frustration and I I can imagine that, but I, I still say it is very, very, it's, it, it, it's not. It doesn't. It's, it still is not right to damage property in your neighborhoods. There's still another way uh, to get the point across. Boycott uh, 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 meetings. Uh, and there's so many other ways. I just hate to see property damaged. Got the frustration. Understand that. Years and years of oppression. Understand that. Uh, but I still think damaging property. Uh, uh, just the wrong way to send a message. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, everybody has an opinion about um, how things are, are being played out. But even with the, with the caller, you know, commenting what has happened in Atlanta, uh, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that you, that you have to be mindful of, even, uh, you know, to say that, if a business condones bad policing, uh, that may be the business owner. That business owner may have employees. It may be a single mom. It may be, you know, you you don't know the, the circumstances of people who work in those businesses and how they are impacted 
once that business has been destroyed. So, you know, uh, I know we're not, uh, you know, stating that, you know, uh, people who condone bad policing, nothing should happen to them. But uh, like you said, Keith, you know, when you start destroying private property or business, that impacts that community that, you know, such as a, a local convenience store. You may have people who don't have transportation who walk to that convenience store for eggs or milk or, uh, you know, something to drink or whatever it may be because they don't have the resources to get to a, a bigger grocery store. So they utilize that small neighborhood store. But once the looters come in and, and destroy that store, now that impacts them. And so uh, that's why there's so much conversation about all the looting that continues to happen. And, and Keith, you know, I have to say this before we go to break, is that everything that we have seen this year and, and last year, um, it's the it has came at the – expense of something that a police officer has done. Every incident that has happened across this country with looting, protesting, has been because a police officer shot and killed an unarmed uh, black person or an unarmed black woman. But but Virgil, let let me say this. It's not the one incident. It's the historical. And it's the ongoing. So, so, Let's make sure we we talk about that. It's not the it's not the these are tipping points. Uh, uh, yeah, you're these right. are communities that already have so so it's it's the it's being fed up. It's it's being tired of being tired and 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 feel not respected. Now I go back and say the looting is not right, but but you have to understand when you see this, and just like this past weekend, two more incidents, and you see what you know. I don't know what happened in the situation in Kenosha, but when you see someone, when the community sees someone shot in the back, there's no body cameras, uh, 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 and the people say, well, it's not what you think. That's where the frustration comes in, exactly. I believe. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, hey, we're going to take another, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Hey, want to welcome you back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, um, where we are discussing uh, some of the current events that have uh, taken a place across the country, uh, uh, that whether it's in Lafayette, Louisiana, or Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, you know, uh, there's definitely a lot uh, going on across the country dealing with police. And uh, we want to remind our listeners that the call-in number to the show is uh, uh, 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And also, if you don't get a chance to listen to the entire uh, You and the Law show, you can uh, listen to the 
rebroadcast of You and the Law uh, show every day uh, at uh, 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, that's the bachelornews.airtime.pro to listen to the rebroadcast of You and the Law. Uh, if you can't uh, listen to us, to the show entirely, you can go back and listen to the rebroadcast shows uh, at uh, the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Well, you know, you know, Bird, I, I want I want to say something before we, uh, you know, before we continue. I, I think we we've always said that we don't condone bad behavior by police, you know, from police officers, but we've also said that we've seen some positive things come up in law enforcement over the years. And one of the things I'd like to share, when you're talking over 60 years of law enforcement experience, you and I are at the point that if we don't think we can make a difference, then we, we, could, we could leave at any point. I mean, we could, we could retire and do other things, but we still believe we can make a difference. We still believe in our profession. We're, we're, at, we're at a point that we will tell the truth. And if we mess up, if law enforcement makes a mistake, we're going to say that. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to threaten. But I'm telling you, after 30 years of law enforcement, I have seen some come out of law enforcement, more positive than negative. But what I will tell you is when we continue to see the incidents that we see, all the positives that we've done take a back seat because people still believe, and especially if you don't, think that law enforcement is on the up and up and you think they're corrupt, when you see things like this, it doesn't change your mind. But however, I know as a police executive, I do know things are changing. I do know that I'm making changes. I do know that uh, if it had not been for President Obama in 2015 with the uh, 21st century policing, some of the changes that we, that we have seen, the mental wellness of law enforcement officers, the technology the community formed the oversight committees that are being formed by departments and things like that, that never would have happened. So there is, there is positive in law enforcement, more positive than negative. It's just, it's just that we see more negative. Uh, you know, we, we're seeing all this stuff on TV and those are the things that are, that have gotten us, um, uh, you know, that, that takes us to the point where people don't believe in us. Yeah. Well, and, and again, Keith, you know, the, the frustration of, of, of uh, in the black community and the frustration of, of, of people probably even listening to the show who feel like, you know, they've seen nothing but a history of bad policing and that they don't, they themselves don't see anything has changed. Uh, in their communities, and that's why you know we definitely encourage we can't, you know our listeners. We're not in a position, and birds. I'm sorry, to cut you out. And we're not in a position to, to try to change those individuals because we we haven't lived in their shoes. Yeah. So yeah, we've exactly. had experiences, and so we don't, we don't have the right to tell someone or diminish someone's belief, ba- you know, based on what they've examined. Uh, so we have to make sure that, that the listeners understand that too. Yeah, and, and what they've experienced because, uh, again, and that's why we definitely encourage our, you know, listeners to uh, to definitely share your comments with us, uh, whether it be on the show or, or on our uh, uh, Facebook page, uh, and also just come on the air and have that conversation with us. What are you doing in your community or what is going on in your city uh, with, across wherever you're listening to us from? 
what has happened in your city that uh, you don't feel uh, is going in the right direction to build a, a better relationship b- between the police and, and, and the black community. So, uh, because again, Keith, you know, with so many things that have happened, I think people often forget about other things that have occurred uh, over the past year, you know, and even me, you know, Keith, just re- doing the research for the show, you know, the uh, Mrs. Jefferson, who uh, was a black female, you know, remember her, she was killed in Fort Worth, Texas back in October. Uh, so people forget the names of so many black men and black women who have been killed by police officers. And, you know, again, here was a almost similar to what happened with uh, the young man in Dallas who was in his apartment. Police officer comes, she comes to his apartment, she comes in, she kills him. In Fort Worth, black female, she's in her home. Her neighbor calls because the front, the, I believe one of the doors was open, so they were concerned. The officer should have, was there to do a welfare check, and next thing you know, he ends up shooting and killing this young lady inside of her home. Uh, even though he has been arrested and he's facing criminal charges, I think it just goes back to the the mindset, Keith, that people are really just tired of hearing these types of incidents. And then when you see it, uh, a citizen who has recorded something on their phone of a man walking away from police unarmed uh, and being shot by police, but in the situation in Lafayette, this gentleman did have uh, – a knife. Uh, And so, and even now you've got social media, uh, people are are just dissecting what took place in Wisconsin. Now they're coming out to say that this young man had a weapon, had a knife in his his hand. No reports have come out that I've seen that have stated that this man was armed with any kind of a weapon. So, uh, but you you getting people who are who are trying to put their own narrative on what took place based on a still image of a of a picture. Well, you know, and, and Virgil, let's let's talk about let's remind the listeners. Uh, L.A. is you know our producers monitoring uh, phone calls and and please if you call in and you have a question, just let let him know and we'd be more than we'd love to hear from you. Uh, that's how yeah. we uh, make the show better, and 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 we have the very open and 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 candid conversations about the concerns that the community has with law enforcement. Also, there's pos- there's there are more positive than negative, but you know, right now we're talking about the concerns uh, that the uh, the communities of color have with law enforcement. And, and I'm going to say this: uh, let's, let's, Virgil, let's go back to those incidents we talked about. We talked about the uh, the young lady and. Fort Worth, and we talk about the young, uh, we talk about uh, Breonna Taylor, and we talk about Bolton James. And, and let, let me say this. Uh, we still have to look at the fact of, uh, I believe, and people, some people might disagree with me, that none of those officers got up that morning wanting to kill anyone. I, I, yeah. I truly believe, and if I ever found out they, that's false, it would it would break my heart because I I, I hope 
that we've gotten beyond that. I hope that's not the case. But I, but at the same, you know, but it's it's it. But even though that's the case, what the community's seeing over and over again are white officers um, shooting African Americans. Uh, and so once that occurs multiple number of times, the the reasoning part of or, or trying to explain that you believe that that wasn't the officer's plan, uh, that's kind of go out. That kind of goes out the door. Uh, and, and 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 so that's difficult for a police community to understand because that's beside the point. That's not what we don't care about. That we're caring about what we saw and what just happened, not what happened when that officer woke up this morning. Well, you know, and I think we have a, a, a question uh, from one of our listeners that uh, states that what about how the police can gather information in a fatal shooting if uh, with a black person if they don't share or give updates to the family of the victims? And, you know, Keith, I think it's one of the things that has been frustrating with the family in Wisconsin is the fact that uh, they have not been provided uh, the updated information about uh, their uh, son or, you know, the, the father of the kids. You know, they have not been provided information, but but when they go to get information, they're being told that they can't give them that information. So, you know, it just goes back to uh, you've got a, a – a law enforcement system who is who is is not being open and transparent with the family. You've got sure. the, uh, a medical system who is is not providing the necessary information to the family, and so you the the frustration continues to mount. You've already family is dealing with the possibility that that they may lose you know their these kids may lose their father and remind, you know, there were three children in the car who witnessed their father be, you know, being shot by a police officer. And so, and then you had other uh, uh, friends or, or family members who witnessed it as well, but it just goes back to why can't, you know, Keith, why can't the, the law enforcement community, get ahead of things instead of always being behind the curve when it comes to releasing information. There's always we don't like this, change. We don't like yeah, change. It, it, Law enforcement it, never like change. It's always been keep your marbles hidden. Don't show everybody your marbles because it's gonna affect the it's gonna affect the investigation or that's going to provide the the family more information for a lawsuit or, you know, it might not get it. it, it it's, it's, it's so many things that come out, you know, that the reason we don't, but let, let me just share this with you, Virgil. We had, we had a situation here in our city not too long ago. And uh, I will say that our, our detectives do a really good job of, of staying in contact with those families and 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 one of the the father and the grandfather didn't think that we were telling them everything, and so I sit down with them and my investigative team sit down with them, and we went step by step, and they understood. Once you explain to someone, we can't give you this information right now because of this, 
we're frustrated because we can't give it to you. I understand that you're frustrated because you think we won't give it to you. But sometimes you just have to sit down with the family, listen to what their concerns are, let them yell, let them shout, let them get the frustration out. They may never get the frustration out. But sometimes you have to just listen and see. And the, and the, and the response and, your, and, and the question might be as simply as, are you going to do a thorough investigation? Are you going to treat my my loved one with dignity? Are you going to keep us updated? If not every day, once a week, once a month, what can we expect? If you can answer those questions. A lot of the times, it will squash the 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 the, the disrespect and the lack of humanity that the family uh, uh, feels when their loved one. Uh, you know, and I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter what that loved one was involved in. The fact of it is that's somebody's child, that's somebody's dad, sister, brother, cousin, friend. They want to just know that somebody cares. And, yeah. and so you, 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 you have to talk to people and you have to just be honest with people. I can't tell you to, citizens are not going to buy anymore. Well, my attorney said don't talk you can talk there's things you can't talk about as well as you know regarding the investigation but you, you the quicker you reach and say something to the family let them know who's going to be handling the investigation let them know how how the investigation goes let them know that it might take six to 12 weeks for the me's i think sometimes that in itself causes a little bit that 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 causes that that the community and that family to have a little bit more faith in that police department. Yeah. Well, and Keith, you know, it just goes back to what we saw with the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson, where he, his body laid there for hours and hours before he was even covered up with a sheet. Uh, then the aftermath of it, you know, the police, uh, the chief never really communicated with the family. Uh, and it's almost the same situation here in Kenosha where uh, the police chief, uh, nobody, nobody in a physical capacity has talked to the family. Uh, they're just hearing bits and pieces uh, from different other sources or maybe just from the, from the news media. But, you know, Keith, before we, you know, we wrap the show up here in a little bit, I think one of the things that law enforcement really needs to do is look at how how maybe the private sector deals with things. I think when you bring in people from the private sector in, into law enforcement, maybe uh, some type of uh, victim advocate or, or somebody who is not the police in the police uniform who can deal directly with the family and share information with the family because oftentimes, and people may, you know, oftentimes keep, Police officers are, are not are not sensitive, and that's a concern because it's almost like are you not a human because you have a wife, you have a mother, you have a father, you have kids, but here's a family that you're looking at, and you're looking at them as if they don't their life doesn't mean anything, and so you you have this wall built up that. I'm not going to tell you anything. And, you know, and so that's, again, goes back to you're not taking the opportunity to build 
even even in the worstest situation, Keith, you're not taking the opportunity to reach the family. Even if the office, you know the officer is wrong, but you still have to reach the family. And we don't really see a lot of police departments doing a good job of doing that. You know, we uh, you're absolutely right, man. The situation here, uh, right when I got here, uh, we had an officer Bob shooting, and and the union chastised the mayor uh, for reaching out to the family of the young man that I, we shot. I mean, yeah, they chastised him, and and basically, all, he's a, the mayor's a minister. And he prayed. He prayed with the family, and 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 he was chastised for that. Uh, I was chastised for talking to the family. Uh, I'm still being chastised because I, I have a relationship with that family, and it's based on the fact that I built that since I've been here, uh, just listening. And so there are um, those times when police chiefs and mayors and and things, uh, city and city managers are chastised. Just because, just because they want to see how the family's doing. They haven't said the officer did anything wrong. They haven't said he didn't do anything wrong. But the fact is, somebody's—it's it, the human side of it. It's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 it's the reverse of dehumanization, and, and we've got to stop that. Um, you don't—that yes. doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be found at fault in a lawsuit. All you're doing is reaching out, saying, "I'm thinking about you." That's all you're doing. And, and and a lot of times people, the 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 leaders of a, of an organization, uh, are chastised for that because because people get in their feelings. Uh, you know, the union gets in their feelings or, or or things like that. So I just wanted to put that out there also. Yeah, yeah. And, and Keith, you know, we want to remind our listeners that you know over the next uh, several weeks we're going to have a series of these uh, topics that we're going to be talking about. Uh, the relationship between the law enforcement community and the police and what their rights are. So this is just part two of a series of shows that we're going to talk about directly with with things that are are, are occurring in the law enforcement uh, uh, across the country. And uh, and so, but we want to remind uh, each and everyone who's listening to the show, you know, we definitely thank you for listening to us. But we also want you to be mindful that you can go back and listen to uh, rebroadcast shows of You and the Law at the bachelornews.airtime.pro, the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, you can catch the rebroadcast shows um, every day uh, from 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. If you're on Central Time, that would be 3 a.m. and 5 p.m. on Central Standard Time or wherever you're listening to us across the country. Just check your local listings. Uh, to listen to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. But, Keith, uh, uh, you know, a great show. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure next week uh, we're going to be talking about some, some things that have occurred uh, just since we, uh, you know, just since uh, today's show. So, um, you know, it's just unfortunate times that we're dealing with uh, in law enforcement with the pandemic. We're dealing with a presidential election. Um, is this some challenging times? And I think, you know, we definitely need some leadership across the country to step up and to bring people together. Uh, that's what it's going to take to change how citizens feel about their local police, how they feel about their local politicians, and even on a national level, feeling about uh, this presidential election that we have coming up. 
Yeah, and, and I just want I just want to say real quick, thank you to the listeners. Uh, you know, you you're making this possible. Uh, keep keep the questions coming. Uh, keep listening. Uh, listen to the rebroadcast. Take you know notes and stuff. But we just want to say good night. God bless you, and we'll see you next week on You and the Law. On the Bachelor News Radio Network. Thank you. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.